0: One Pratt, the observance day, as is our tradition. We've now moved into a new season, so the weather is warmer. It's a good time to make use of the warm weather, perhaps spend more time outdoors. In the forest, you could find a spot to camp. Some monks are on Tudong or going Tudong. We have to make use of the suitable conditions for our practice. As we know, Tudong comes from Tudonga. Often we have different perceptions about Tudong. Some monks think Mm. they focus more on just wandering from place to place, camping, going Bindabhat into villages where you don't know anybody. Obviously Tudonga, the original word, refers to practices that help us shake off the Kilesa erode the kilesa from our mind so the 13 Tudonga practices are useful practices to take up one or more to develop more effort in the practice simplify the life of a bhikkhu when when we take them on. We simplify maybe the way we eat, eating just alms food and eating just the one sitting in one vessel. with our clothing and just wearing the three main robes or even wearing bangsa cloth, cast off cloth, corpse cloth or simplifying our posture the undertaking not to use the lying down something we often do on these observance days, stay up all night without lying down. And some of these practices we keep make or may keep normally, living in the forest. we need to determine to to keep them we might not normally be keeping them so we make a determination to follow them for a period of time the aim being to train the mind simplify our lifestyle train the mind to focus more on, on meditation to develop mindfulness and wisdom more understanding Firmness of mind and the sense of contentment and ease that might arise when the two longer practices are taken up skillfully. Lumbhocha used to point out the danger of any ascetic practices or special practices we take on, because there's always a danger if we have the wrong attitude it can actually be a cause for more suffering and increase our kilesa rather than reduce them so it can become a basis for conceit where we compare ourselves to other monks and try and do something to be better than someone else more ascetic than someone else or sometimes the other way take on a practice and then we can't fulfill it, can't do it because it's too difficult and then we feel inadequate or lose our self-respect for a while which is also not good. A different form of Kilesa. So it's important to use the training to experiment. attitude, particularly with extra or special practices we may take on. Going on Tudong, which may involve taking on Tudonga practices as well, but just going Tudong, walking, staying in the forest, camping out. Often we Mm -hmm. view it in more terms of the, the physical side the lifestyle change and the physical challenges so when monks go on Tudong often they spend a lot of time preparing gear and planning their route which is obviously necessary practical to have some idea of where you're going what you're doing how much you need to carry how much you can carry but often that takes over as the sort of Focus of the whole practice is just the physical side, the hardships, maybe some uncertainty and fear around the hardships involved, the uncertainties of weather, walking long distances, feeling tired, uncertainties about alms food, bhandar and so on. That can become almost an obsession. We have to remember the purpose of any practice is for training the mind. And although training the body is part of our practice, but it's supposed to be or aiming to be a foundation for training the mind and seeing the mind, seeing kilesa and reducing kilesa and liberating the mind by seeing the cause of suffering it is and abandoning it through the practice so whether we spend a lot of time preparing our equipment and our route and planning everything or a little time once you're out walking and camping you're constantly with yourself with your own mind and this is one of the Possible uses of the, these kinds of practices because it can put you in a new challenging situation where the uncertainties of your lifestyle push you right back to see attachment, craving and attachment very quickly, very directly. And if you're not sure where you'll eat tomorrow and how much you'll get, and you see that clinging to the body an injury, it puts you right back to the present moment as you're aware if you put a foot wrong or sometimes even without trying we, get, we fall ill sometimes from maybe food that doesn't agree with us or a bug bites us or we have an allergic reaction or we have a fall, things happen even with the best preparation and the best Most mindfulness we can summon up. Sometimes it's just our old karma coming up. So there'll be a certain amount of anxiety and attachment that comes to the front of the mind very quickly when you leave the monastery. Even living in the monastery, there's still a certain amount of uncertainty, but over time we do get into our habits and our corners and comfort zones. on the mind but that can be useful to help show us where we're attached see our desires come up very quickly when they're frustrated when we don't get what we want when we're hot we're tired we don't have a access to water for a bath we don't get the right kind of food or the amount of food we need when we have to use our body to walk for long hours kinds of challenges which will bring up maybe fresh kinds of craving mm-hmm. in the monastery maybe there's a lot of seeking comfort and getting comfort perhaps when you're out of the monastery you you don't have that immediate access to comfort in many areas of your life see how the desires lead to the more scheming or manipulative states of mind where Mm. you start to think how you can get some extra food or drink or some help from a lay person who hasn't yet offered offered it. So then it's very important to reflect on our rules about pawarana Mm. and the proper way to receive our solicited way obviously there's plenty of generous people around in the world and many monks have found that but still you'll find there will be times where you might have a particular craving that's not being satisfied and then the mind starts to plan how on earth it can get some satisfaction some get the object of its desire scrupulous not to give in to desires that lead to unskillful behavior. Asking too much from people, asking from people who haven't made an offer, kind of finding ways to get close to lay people. Mm. Sometimes it's even possible you go on too long you spend more time with lay people than when you're in the monastery. Based around desire the other side is there's the joys of providing uh, inspiration to people and they see a monk walking they can be inspired, inspired to offer help and that can be a cause for their joy, faith to arise and they make some good karma but we have a responsibility not to give in to our desires. or just living simply even in the monastery brings up challenges and can be a very useful way to train us tr- in the practice to m- f- find new challenges see how our mind reacts in different situations and the important thing is to always make it for stirring the mind up. And you're reflecting. There's still the same reflections as you've been using in the monastery. Reflecting on the three characteristics. Different moods and desires that come up pass away again. Seeing them as impermanent. See the suffering when craving takes over the mind. Discontent with what you've got what you haven't got. Ultimately seeing the the lack of self in moods and feelings, how they come and go according to causes and conditions. When you're wandering in the forest there's a lot less distraction. In the monastery you've still got people, more, more people to forest even if you're with other people there's a limit to the distraction you can find So again it pushes you back to really be very patient with your own moods and the thoughts that do seek distraction you see how strong fantasies can come up when you're in the forest things that you haven't got that you would like they can fill your mind for a whole evening just proliferating about one theme how even our own mind becomes the source of distraction when we're living in a situation where there's nothing else to distract us and we'll go into our mind and start reliving memories, fantasizing about the future, creating stories, images, so that also puts pressure on us, you now to bring up mindfulness when the mind just wants to think and think and think. we're getting, how much food we're getting it can also fill the mind constantly worrying about different issues this is where the, the challenge of wandering in the forest, staying in the forest can be very useful it brings you right back to the present moment and you really you really see your attachment to your own body your own thinking the way and now how we're seeking Sukha weight and all trying to get away from unpleasant conditions and unpleasant feelings so generally the the result for most people is it improves their level of patient endurance but it can also be a something it might just give you the reflection well I know what it's like walking in the forest going Binda I know that. I know I can survive it. But it may not give you any particular insight or you may not feel it's in your practice much more than developing that basic endurance. But even that is useful. It gives you some idea about practicing in a different situation. <coughs> Perhaps one area that does often arise is more fear, fear of danger, fear of the unknown, perhaps a little less when you're staying or walking with another monk or monks, because you still have friends around to give you some sense of security, if you're ever on your own, completely on your own, in the forest, and you can't help but have the thought, what happens if I get bitten by a snake? out or something. There's no one there to get you, to find you. That can be quite a rewarding practice. It really brings you down to the present moment and you see your real refuge is your own practice of Dhamma Vinaya. Your sila, your mindfulness and then your wisdom. That's all you've get to see the value of faith faith brings up the endurance and the effort in the practice and you might just have to trust in the Buddha and your teachers because you have no physical security and maybe nobody around you maybe the last thing you've got to cling on to is just faith that you're doing a good thing and you're practicing following So see the values of other practices that sometimes maybe we get bored with or don't always appreciate in the monastery because we're doing them repetitively. See, like the value of chanting. If you're staying in the forest, one thing that brings up faith and can bring a good feeling when you're on your own is to chant various verses. you're directly recollecting the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and it gives you a sense of warmth inside if you're out in the forest on your own maybe the weather's not so good you can chant at the very least that brings you a sense of connection back to the Buddha can bring up mindfulness as you reflect on the meaning of the chant brings up energy when maybe you're sleepy or distracted it focuses the mind you might see things like chanting or looking after your robes correctly, looking after your bowl correctly, taking care with your requisites, eating mindfully, walking mindfully, you know, the very simple practices you do when you're on Tudong, you often see they're very valuable. feeling very down, sometimes we feel depressed or lonely, sad, sorry for ourselves, or feeling afraid of some unknown possible danger. These practices become our refuge. the meditation techniques we've used can become real really put to the test when you're out in the forest you've got nothing else to depend on so you can depend on your breath say, or buddha or reflecting in a certain way on, on the Dhamma that becomes your refuge maybe it's all you've got if you do ever face some danger like the danger of illness when you have medicine or a dangerous animal like a snake or even people who may not be so friendly. Mm. Often it's then that you really see the value of going to your meditation object to steady the mind or reciting a sutta or a verse to bring up some concentration and steady the mind in a situation where you may be tempted to be very unnerved. found it challenging just because you have to shed your comforts and live very simply and then also challenging because you're dependent on yourself if you're feeling you're caught into a mood you have only yourself to depend on to bring your mind up again if you're feeling down if you're feeling depressed or worried or sad you only have yourself but then Reflect on the uncertainties of your own mind for yourself. You're no longer asking questions from anyone or depending on Dhamma from someone else. You may remember teachings you've been given, and that can be quite useful. But now you have to apply them yourself totally, maybe totally alone. face illness, I used to get dysentery a lot in Thailand, and sometimes you're so ill you can't walk to get your arms food because you have so much diarrhea and your body is so dehydrated, so weak, you literally just have to forego your meal when it's the very thing you think would probably help you, you have to forego it, so all you've got less left Waiting, especially in those days there was no telephones or ways to contact people, you just had to wait, and waiting is quite good for us, you, when you wait you really see uh, different moods arising and passing away and there's nothing you can do, so you're just willing to be patient with them and let them go, there's no distraction, there's no comfort, there's from a wild animal. So several times encountering tigers or elephants, snakes, bears, when they seem in a, to have adopted a threatening posture and they come to you. Mm-hmm. You really have nothing other than your own meditation object. Maybe you don't even have time or doesn't seem even correct about spreading metta as a practice we do and often that that's a good practice. But sometimes there's no time to spread meta. Say if you're in the dark in the forest and a tiger runs up, maybe all you can do is just compose yourself and maintain equanimity with with the breath. Just keep your mind in one place. You have no idea what to do and it doesn't meta seems even something that you can't necessarily turn your mind to, all you can do is just be there, be patient be equanimous with the situation because you don't know what will happen but the amount of effort that requires brings up a very is a very requires a very determined effort. I remember the first time I met a tiger, couldn't sleep the whole night because the mind was just thinking about it. Usually you think, what if? What if? What would it do? Where's it gone now? is impermanent. Sleepiness is impermanent. If the conditions are right, you don't sleep. There's so much adrenaline. The mind's so alert. When you just stay awake. Your mind still might be full of thought, proliferating, but it won't sleep. Once that's happened once, then you get an idea of how your mind becomes so scattered and so weak of fear, the fear of death fear of injury, of pain then you see the problem, at least it's valuable in that way, even though you might say it's a kind of a failure, a bit like a a sporting event where you failed you've lost, because your mind was all over the place at least you see what the problem is and then you can go away and train harder and use more mindfulness and wisdom to try and improve yourself for me, the second time I encountered a tiger, I was much more ready for it. I knew how overwhelming the experience is. Your whole body is full of fear. becomes rigid with fear, so you maybe can't even move. And the adrenaline comes up and all the um, anxious thoughts come up. So the second time I was ready for that, I was determined not to give in to the same pattern as happened on the first time second time I encountered a tiger, it was a cause for great peace to arise in the mind because I just kept the mind focused on the meditation object, on the breath, and refused to give in to all the other anxiety, worry, panic, and the mind and the body wasn't rigid with fear, and the mind wasn't scattered and proliferating with panic, it was just focused experienced extreme fear but then you've seen it arise and cease you know intuitively it's just a mood it's just a thought it's just a feeling and it's not permanent and it's not you what arises and ceases can't be a person or a being me, you, us or them it's just an an object of mind maybe the first time you have go through it just experience it however unpleasant but then you can reflect back and say that's gone now so the next time your mind doesn't want to fall into that same experience it's got enough wisdom and determination maybe to change its habit at that moment you find when you establish mindfulness in these situations then that releases more wisdom and more wholesome ways of thinking. So you can start reflecting on what's going on rather than just reacting with fear or aversion. So it may even bring up compassion or kindness towards the object of your fear, either to yourself or or to a tiger, or if you're imagining, uh, imagining a ghost or something, or you could bring up compassion for that. Whatever it is once you establish mindfulness then other wholesome dhammas start to emerge out of that this is why the Buddha said mindfulness is so essential in the practice it's like that which governs the mind or the manager so if you have a, a workplace a work environment you usually have a manager, a supervisor that's like mindfulness once mindfulness is established then you, that can direct the mind to bring up other skillful Meditation objects or reflections, skillful dhammas, maybe bring up wisdom to reflect on each dukanata, bring up compassion directed to oneself or others. Bring up patience, bring up energy, and so on. And mindfulness, once established, starts to govern the mind, and can govern the mind very well. When we lose our mindfulness, it goes the other way get scattered, we seek distraction, seek the objects of our cravings, we seek sensual pleasure through our senses, seek distraction, or we go to aversion or fear to run away from what we don't like, blot it out, get rid of it. When we lose our mindfulness, then the opposite happens and the mind starts to flood with unwholesome dumbness. whatever the situation is, if you're in the forest on Tudong, whether you're meeting people or animals or you're just on your own in some situation, number one priority is always bring up mindfulness. Bring the mind back to the present moment. Then our intelligence can function. We can reflect more more clearly on what's going on. Maybe just teach ourselves in that moment to let go of negative thought that's bringing suffering or supporting suffering and just quietly teach yourself to let, let it go give it up or other times it has to be a more determined kind of establishing mindfulness and really reflect deeply on what's going on we have to reflect over and over again teach the mind to let go but our number one almost inevitable isn't it you go into the forest you're bound to experience some dukkha mm-hmm. maybe more dukkha than usual but sometimes we have to use dukkha to overcome dukkha you would say the wise practitioner uses dukkha as a teacher in the dukkha you encounter whether it's physical hardship that arises or just mental discontent These are our teachers. Sometimes we need to get under the surface, get out of our comfort zone in order to see the dukkha so that we can get beyond it. When we use dukkha in this way, it's dukkha for the ending of dukkha. Often we have a sort of subtle or unconscious desire always to have just no dukkha in our experience. Avoid it. You know, we change posture all the time. Try to keep ourselves full with, if we haven't got food, then we have nampana and drinks. Try to keep ourselves busy because so, if we're not very peaceful on our own, then we want something to do to keep ourselves busy and occupied. You know, we're always trying to get away from dukkha. But when you do simplify your life, you go and stay in the forest. of running away from dukkha and avoiding it you have to start looking at it see it for what it is to see dukkha as dukkha as a noble truth and often we find as soon as you do that you establish some awareness and bring the mind to contemplate the dukkha often it dissipates quite quickly often it's much more bearable than shrinks away under the the light of mindfulness and wisdom dukkha tends to shrink dissolve even if it's physical dukkha that you can't get rid of because it's just there so if you're tired or you've got a blister or some injury or something you may not be able to get rid of it but the way your mind treats it the attitude you have that can change if you keep reflecting on are associated with an illness or tiredness you might come to the point where you just see it's just what it is it's just a feeling, it's there, it's unpleasant but it's just a feeling, it's not really a threat to anybody because it doesn't belong to anybody, it isn't anybody, it's not a person or a being, it's just part of nature that has its causes and it arises, it's not pleasant mindfulness we practice, the more we get into that state where we're just seeing everything as candors the body is 32 parts, four elements see the candors, see feelings, memories, thoughts, sense consciousness, just as they are things to be observed and witnessed but not to be grasped at as self the more in this way. You know you're training your mind both in mindfulness and wisdom. The more you train like this then you see well, there's not really anybody who goes on Tudong and you don't really go anywhere. There's still the same candors arising and passing whether you're in the monastery, in your kuti, out in the forest, traveling. you bring your mind to the present moment of this body and mind you realize hmm, it's all basically ideas the reason we get we suffer is because we're caught into all our ideas and notions about who we are and who we should be and what, what should happen to us and how the world should be this is all just ideas and concepts as many of you have even found already you know, when you're walking so you're walking a long time and you just practice mindfulness with the movement you can easily get to a point where you're just seeing the body as just a body moving along it's almost like there's nobody nobody there it's a body, you're aware of the sensations and what's happening but there's the sense of ownership disappears at least temporarily you're more seeing the body more like a, as a inanimate object sitting as well, sitting, watching the breath, and the sense of ownership of the body disappears. Or even sometimes we you know, develop the, the super meditations. You just contemplate, mm, maybe this is my last night in the forest. I'll die of some disease or fall over or a tree will fall on me or get bitten by a snake. Tomorrow I'll just be a corpse. What would that like be like? You just reflect an exercise, reflect on the degeneration of the body, how it go back to the elements whatever it is that you think of as you would disappear at that point, you know, if you were to die tonight or tomorrow morning, there would be nothing else you have to worry about, so in that sense it's quite pleasant a relief, you no more chores to do to finish no more journeys to make just be the end of it and that person, whatever you think about yourself I'm a good monk, I'm a bad monk I'm a skilled monk, I'm an unskilled monk I know a lot, I know a little I have good meditation I have no good, not good meditation all this all the views and concepts just disappear, that's the end of it I guess you could still be Concerned about your biography, what they'd write about you after you're dead. (laughs) But if you're practicing with mindfulness and wisdom, probably you realize it doesn't matter at all. Just another bhikkhu in the forest laid down to die for whatever reason. You can reflect on that just to see the lack of self in our experience. with us when they go on Tudong then whoever finds yeah. us maybe they maybe don't even realize we're a Buddhist monk in Australia mm. but if they do they, they won't know who you are where you're from not much different from the kangaroos or the wombats yeah. you know a dead wombat nobody knows where it came from it just lies there by the side of the road that could be us this is a reflection not to make us depressed, but to liberate us from our self-view, Sakaya Ditti, atuna, How much of our time, mental energy is spent around constructing a sense of self, even as a monk. I'm a monk with this name. suttas and the vinaya and I've done this and I've done that. Our head is full of who we are even as a monk. If this this is your last day in the forest, tomorrow it doesn't matter anymore, does it? of uh, opportunity to practice at this time of year, whether in the monastery or going out wandering or staying out in the forest, even in the monastery, we can stay out in the forest. But make use of these this chance. You don't know how many other summers you will live, we don't know. So make use of the chance while you have it. Make use of these teachings that we've been fortunate enough to have come in contact with. Mm. The Buddha sacrificed everything to become a Buddha. Countless lifetimes of effort, practicing perhaps not that much different from us, living in the forest as a monk, practicing meditation, keeping the Vinaya. He probably practiced that over and over again to become a Buddha. We don't even have to become a Buddha. He's laid, laid it all, all out for us already. We have the suttas, the vinaya, we have our living teachers as examples. Everything is laid on for us. so it's, it's like a massive shortcut for us, for our own practice to liberate our minds. We don't have to go through quite as much as a Buddha did. But still, we have to commit to the practice. It's up to us to do it.